Hi, this is filmmaker and author Michael Morin. Whenever I'm not riding my bike around the Davis campus, I'm listening to KDVS College Radio right here. FM. Cool. This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to have a, a especially interesting second segment on today's program. We'll be rejoined by William Turner. Bill Turner is, uh, is a legend in certain journalistic circles, having written for Ramparts magazine when it was the cutting edge in the 1960s. He took part in numerous um, investigations, um, a truly an investigative reporter with emphasis on the word investigative. Um, Bill had previously been a member of the FBI. He had a career in the FBI that was quite successful, but he decided in the 1960s that... Uh, the FBI was up to some no good, and uh, he parted ways with the organization. Mind you, while J. Edgar Hoover was at the helm and managed to live to tell the tale. Um, an excellent book came out of that, Hoover's FBI, and he's written some some great volumes since then, the most recent of which is Rearview Mirror, Looking Back at the FBI, the CIA, and Other Tales. We told you about that book uh, last year, and we're going to go to it again in the wake of the revelation uh, on Tuesday of the long-held secret identity of uh, Deep Throat, who has been revealed to be W. Mark Felt of the FBI. Uh, Bill Turner knew Mr. Felt, and we'll have some very interesting things to say about him in segment two, so stay tuned for that. It's always interesting with Bill Turner. All right, let's let's do on this day in history. That's something we, we like to start the show out with. In fact, Mr. McMillan's going to come up with a special theme music for that, although I don't... Do you have any right now? No, I don't have any right now. Next next week's show, we'll start... I'm not having right now. <laughs> next week's show, okay. we'll start with that. Uh, but, but on this date in history, June 2nd, 1897, the rumors that writer Samuel Clemens had died at the age of 61 were squelched with publication in the New York Journal of the kind of quip that earned Mark Twain his reputation for succinct humor. Quote, the report of my death was an exaggeration, end quote. And on this date in 1925, as various expeditions reach and explore Earth's poles, Canada claims all land between Alaska and Greenland. God, I didn't realize that it was as late as 1925. All those godforsaken stretches of gravel and sinkholes were potentially up for grabs to other nations. We have an unconfirmed report from the League of Nations on June 3rd, 1925, that they sent a memo out saying Canada is welcome to it. Another thing that's, I think, becoming an institution on this show, and you know, this is a good institution, is our quotes from the Good Week 4, Bad Week 4 section from The Week magazine, because, well, they're just so good. The Week judged it to be a Good Week 4, this is last week, holy rollers, <laughs> when a recording of Pope John Paul II's poetry 
set to a disco beat, reached number three on the Polish pop charts. Dr. Andy, take notice. We we'll have to see whether 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 uh, Dr. Andrews Dr. Andy's poetry and technology hour can come up with that one. Uh, if he does, what well, we we do hope he'll share. Last week, according to the week, was a bad week for bimbos. After Pamela Anderson revealed that she was dining with Paris Hilton in a restaurant. Now, right away, there's a picture. Pamela Anderson and Paris Hilton at the same table. When the hotel heiress slammed down the menu, shouted, I hate reading, and demanded to have the entire menu read to her by a waiter. Anderson commented, I mean, I'm blonde, but come on. It was also a bad week for debugging after a German man filled his apartment with insect spray and then turned on his computer. A spark set off an explosion that destroyed the apartment and sent debris flying for 300 feet. Walter Mueller, 36, received only minor injuries. No, no, we don't know whether that was a Mac or, or a PC. And finally, it was a good week, and I, I love this one. It was a good week for positive thinking, said the magazine, after a Louisiana S- State University junior declared himself eligible for the NBA draft, despite never having made the varsity team. <laughs> I know I won't be drafted, said six foot three Curtis Harriman, but maybe I can turn somebody's head in a tryout or in a camp. You know, we're going to have to bring back Sean Minton, who I think may still hold the record for a number of appearances on this show. We haven't had him here in forever to talk about sports. Uh, that's the kind of story I think that Sean would like. He'll be back. We're going to do some blending in today's show. I went through the, a, a large pile of, of articles we had gone through before, and we're going to try and update some of those and perhaps just, just say them again, some things that are worth going back over. And here's an item that I think is worth going over from an email. Mel Gibson fervently denied that his follow-up film on The Passion of the Christ will be anti-Semitic. The film is set to start filming in 2005 as tentatively titled Kill the Jew Bastards. (laughs) Gibson insisted his critics are overreacting to his upcoming work. Apparently, the actor-come-director also looks forward to part three of a Passion trilogy set for 2008, which will be Protocols of the Elders of Zion, the movie. And here's a little uh, factet that is worth repeating if we, if we did say it on the show before. I don't remember whether we did. But 4 million Americans about the population of either South Carolina or Kentucky live in a foreign land. Many of these expat- expatriates are disenchanted with U.S. politics, U.S. workaholism, or U.S. social attitudes. We like doing science topics, and I I, I noted that uh, the Discover magazine couldn't resist tooting its horn a bit, noting that um, they did an article in May of 1994 on killer waves, which was quite quite interesting. Apparently, um, an English teacher named Munwan was in Sri Lanka buying fish on the ferry dock when he noticed that the ocean suddenly rose, just what the American magazine he'd read described water doing before a tsunami strikes. He ran inland, 
shouting at people to follow him. Many thought he was out of his mind, but the 20 to 30 people who did follow survived and now think he's a hero. So, uh, you know, some a great deal of good can come of reading science magazines. We'll try and do a little science in our third uh, third segment today. Uh, let's see. We're just doing a roundup here. Let's see. Miscellaneous statistics. This one, okay, I know we did this one, but I want to do it again. From the Harper's Index a few weeks ago. Percentage of U.S. high school students who believe news stories should require government approval before publication. That would be 36% of U.S. high school students. And every so often we take the Sunday paper and pull something out of Walter Scott's, uh, was it personality parade? I don't know, it's in the parade section. Someone asked, actually someone from uh, Minden, Nevada asked, before the election, Alex Baldwin, Rosie O'Donnell, Janine Garofalo, Whoopi Goldberg, Al Franken, Cher, Phil Donahue, Rob Reiner, Barbara Streisand, and Jane Fonda all promised to move from the U.S. if President Bush were re-elected. Who left and where are they now? Which earned the following answer. Well, all still live in the good old USA. None seriously considered moving. And our research turned up no such public promises. That list was spread on the web and in print perhaps to impugn the patriotism of these outspoken liberals. Now, my producer thinks that uh, thinks that Baldwin may have actually said that, and I think I think he's right about that. But the others did not, and you know, when, next time you see somebody listening to Rush or watching Fox and spouting that one at you, just say, "Hey, hey, hey!" You know, what's your source on that? And uh, our source on the following item was Julia Malone writing for the Cox News Service. A headline I loved in in Sacramento Bee last week. Influx of foreign workers lowers wages, study says. Um, this, I think, is right next to uh, another headline on the previous day, which said, Pope apparently Catholic, study says. <laughs> I don't think we really have to analyze that article, do we? Gee, an influx of cheap foreign workers lowers wages? Gosh, who would have thought it? And also from the duh file comes the fact that Tom Cruise's love for actress Katie Holmes, which apparently was, uh, was all over the media, turned out to have just been a publicity stunt for each of them to promote the movie that they're in. Gee. Here's an interesting little item. Uh, the band Nine Inch Nails dropped out of um, the June 4th MTV Movie Awards a very distinguished awards program, no doubt, MTV's Movie Awards, after clashing with their network over an image of President Bush the band had planned to use as a performance backdrop. The Bush image was to accompany the song The Hand That Feeds, which obliquely criticizes the Iraq War. It includes the lyrics, What if this whole crusade's a charade, and behind it there's a price to be paid? For the blood in which we dine, justified in the name of the holy and the divine. MTV said in a statement to its news division, now, wouldn't that be a distinguished thing to have on your moniker? You worked for the news division over at MTV. They said that the network was disappointed that the industrial rock band would not perform, but it had been, quote, uncomfortable with their performance being built around a partisan political statement, unquote. 
Yes, I think that we'll be a much better nation and the world will be a much better place when all those musical bands out there will realize that their job is to create music and, and let's just leave those partisan political statements somewhere else. All right, from the Publicity Hound file, we have uh, Jay Leno apparently went to Santa Barbara to testify for the defense in Michael Jackson's molestation trial. I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure that none of Jay Leno's kids did a sleepover down at the Neverland Ranch, so I'm not sure you know, how it is Jay gets to, uh, gets to come in and, um, and testify in that case, but uh, testify he did. I can see that. Well, he, he never molested anyone on, on my show. Now, before we proceed to Publicity Hound Part 2, let me introduce the following little article from the Chronicle. Headline, Local Highways Considered Some of the Nation's Bumpiest. California Has Five of Ten Worst Urban Roads, study says. Uh, Noted that the Bay Area's freeways and highways are some of the crummiest urban roads in the country, according to a transportation research group. Um, Note also, this news came as little surprise to, uh, to people who commute uh, between Tracy and San Francisco, or up 101. Worth noting that in this study, Sacramento r- rated number nine in uh, the worst, uh, worst highways in America. Enter former weightlifter and bodybuilding champion and actor, oh, and also governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger thought it would be a good idea to do a photo op where he fixed some potholes. Now, this was picked up in the Chronicle, and then later picked up in the B. Now, I lo- the B, the B's coverage I really like because they wind up giving the governor the Cheese Index Award <laughs> for what he did. In fact, they, they gave him two wedges of cheese for the fact that the governor traveled to San Jose last Thursday and filled in a pothole that had been prepared by city crews a few hours earlier. The Chronicle had noted that this neighborhood in San Jose was minding its own business. They had a crack in their asphalt, but a work crew, I guess from Caltrans, came in and then dug out a large pothole, which the governor then came in, and when the photo op shows him wearing good shoes, wearing his platform shoes, and, uh, and raking... As, a, as four guys, as four bored <laughs> guys look like they're sort of shifting their position, watching the governor with this big grin on his face, working the rake to smooth out the asphalt. Which, which, well, you know, I, I just bet that's the only rake the governor's picked up in the last year. <laughs> but as my producer points out, it is just so typical to have one guy doing the work and four Caltrans guys standing around watching. Um, you know, they did a study a couple years ago. We reported on this for you. They did a study at Caltrans and showed that they actually spend more money on administration than they do on highway repair, which they thought was kind of embarrassing. And the part that apparently really impressed the neighbors in San Jose was not just they took and converted a cracked piece of asphalt into an actual hole, but that while the governor strode toward television cameras on uh, Laguna's sake away... He did it to the sounds of the Doobie Brothers taking it to the streets. 
I got a quote from the guy that the, the Chronicle quoted from. Apparently, there was a man, uh, Nick Porovecchio, was standing up, uh, was up at 7 a.m. with his partner, Joe Greco. They said they became fascinated by watching, quote, 10 city workers standing around for a few hours putting on new vests in preparation for their big moment with Schwarzenegger. Their street, he noted, didn't even have a hole to pave over till Thursday morning. They just dug it out, Porovecchio said, shrugging. There was a crack, but they dug out the whole road this morning. Could note, too, that, that media advisories for the morning uh, the morning event in San Jose were not issued until two hours before it started, which was an unusual move. Reporters were not provided with a location, but told to assemble in a parking lot where directions were distributed. The traffic event with the governor was such a well-kept secret that a row of spectator seats was mostly unfilled. City officials, road workers, and media outnumbered neighbors, many of whom said they learned the governor was around only because of the heavy police protection. Rob Stutzman, the governor's communications director, said there was no attempt at secrecy and that logistics were set up so the event would have minimal impact on the neighborhood. But the governor's staff, the article points out, was similarly closed-mouthed about his scheduled fundraiser later that day. While Schwarzenegger's chief fundraiser, Marty Wilson, acknowledged that the governor would dine with about 40 to 50 business leaders at a private location in the East Bay, he wouldn't reveal the site, saying only that it was south of Walnut Creek and north of Pleasanton. We would like to, uh, to quote from Al Franken, who was on our show a few weeks back, who, who has noted on numerous occasions that there are absolutely no constitutional blocks to Arnold Schwarzenegger becoming the president of Austria. Speaking of Al Franken, we, we got a report from our good friend James Israel that uh, although he didn't watch it himself, that someone else monitored what KCRA did with the 20 to 30 minutes of time they got with Al Franken, and apparently they, they did let him run on a bit more than the usual 15-second uh, soundbite. Actually, I had a bet going with James that it would be uh, would be under a minute. And it was over a minute, so I won. But I got a feeling if we'd set the bet at two minutes that, uh, that I might have lost. All right, we would note that on this Memorial uh, Day weekend just passed, um, George W. Bush went to Arlington Cemetery and paid tribute to the war dead. Before his Memorial Day remarks in 2003, Bush declared major combat operations at an end. At that time, some 160 American soldiers had been killed in Iraq. Today, the total is at over 1,650. Writing for the Los Angeles Times, Walter Rocha Jr. noted that uh, in glimmering sunlight, a somber President Bush placed the traditional Memorial Day wreath at the Tomb of the Unknowns at Arlington Cemetery later declared that, quote, America has always been a reluctant warrior, unquote. And uh, that certainly does describe the actions of our current chief executive because, um, as is perhaps well known by now, when uh, George W. Bush was serving in the Texas Air National Guard, he was transferred to Alabama and uh, apparently never showed up at the military base in Montgomery, Alabama, where he supposedly served in 1972 to 1973. In fact, about the only evidence that he was there at all was that he apparently at some point got a dental checkup. 
And from our recycle file, I pull out the article from Saturday, July 10th, 2004, noting that uh, the military payroll records that, co- that could more fully document President Bush's whereabouts during his service in the Texas Air National Guard were inadvertently destroyed, according to the Pentagon. Yes, apparently someone used the Freedom of Information Act to request those government records, but the Defense Department said, and, and I, I believe this, they, they didn't note, but I assume with a straight face, said that the microfilm containing the pertinent National Guard payroll records was damaged and could not be salvaged. And uh, searches for backup paper copies of the missing records were unsuccessful. You know, it's one thing to be a hawk uh, on a war, and it's it's another thing to be a hawk on a war. And when it was, uh, you know, in Vietnam, it was the war that you advocated that you just decided that even Air National Guard service was something you didn't really just have the time to do, doggone it. And yes, we are going to return to the issue of a reinstated draft in a future show, something that, uh, an issue that is not going to go away. All right, and a final uh, final story on this segment today. Apparently, uh, in keeping with George Tennant resigning from the CIA as director but later being awarded the Medal of Freedom by President Bush, two Army analysts whose work has been cited as part of the key intelligence failure on Iraq, the claim that aluminum tubes sought by the Baghdad government were probably meant for nuclear weapons programs rather than for rockets, have received job performance awards in each of the past three years. These civilian analysts, the former military men, uh, concluded that these aluminum centrifuges were probably not rocket parts and that they were destined for uh, uh, nuclear centrifuges. So apparently despite sharp critiques from the President's Commission and the Senate Intelligence Committee, there's been no major reprimand or penalty in conjunction to these intelligence failures. And this matter of the, uh, the rocket motor cases uh, was described as in, by the commission as representing a serious lapse in analytic tradecraft. So just how bad do you have to screw up before you get a reprimand when it comes to uh, analytic tradecraft? <laughs> We don't know, but we're going to take a break. Uh, We'll be back in the second segment with former FBI agent William Turner, who is, uh, is always, always interesting. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and this is KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. (laughs) 